We are still on the topic of control. Today, I want to speak to you about submission. In the talk on conquering control, I said we learn to walk this new and foreign road called submission. Submission is a term that brings conflicting emotions and responses. Many of us have no idea of what God's godly submission means. Does it mean that I must be a feeble floor mat who allows abuse? Is submission a curse ordered by God as punishment for sin? Is submission a passive action of giving up and rolling over? Many people hear the word submission and don't understand it, or it brings something to mind that is so negative that they promptly resist it. We need to understand what God's definition is in order to experience His joy. Submission results in obedience, but it doesn't begin there. If we get the beginning wrong, we will go astray. If you have a pen nearby, please write these two sentences down. 1. Submission results in obedience, but it doesn't begin there. 2. Submission is the cure for control. Submission isn't a set of laws. It isn't something you can define by works alone. It is firstly a state of the heart. Submission is dynamic. It expresses itself in doing what pleases another. Submission is finding pleasure in doing someone else's bidding. Submissive people are not wimps without their own ideas and will. They are people of conviction and principle. They are thinkers and searchers of truth. They are able to acknowledge and express their thoughts and plans. They may even be passionate about their beliefs and eager to convince others of the merits of their ideas. But once they have said their peace, they are willing to relinquish control to a higher cause. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you should build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 Many of us look to God and want to please Him. We spend time considering how we can do this. God Almighty repeats throughout Scripture what He desires. He says He seeks our hearts, those who are humble and contrite in spirit. The thing that brings joy to God is the heart of a person who puts so much prominence on his words that they tremble. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God goes so far as to say we may do all the right things. We may live according to all the rules, but if we don't live in communion with him, 
Seeking Him and listening to Him with a heart that trembles to obey, we are choosing our own ways. Isaiah 66 goes on to say, He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb, like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering, like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense, like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways, and their souls delight in their abominations. I will also choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. That is verses 3 and 4. The people in Isaiah 66 were following the law of Moses. So why is God rejecting them? The answer is, because when I called, no one answered, and when I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my sight and chose that in which I did not delight. They were all busy doing what they thought was good. They had taken God's law and made it something it was never meant to be, something they could control. They had taken communion with God out of their service to Him. They didn't need to listen attentively to His call and His directives because they had their mantras, their offers, their rules, and they felt confident within the safety of their service, thinking this was what would please God. They had everything under control. They didn't need a relationship. They had the letter of the law. It makes me think of a marriage where there is no indiscretion or disloyalty on either side. Both parties had stood before the altar and committed themselves to each other and they had held that contract for 50 years. But they had stopped loving each other many, many years ago. They never talked. They had no idea what their mate was thinking, their fears, their joys or their sorrows. At one point, in the beginning of their marriage, they knew each other's likes and dislikes. They had talked then. But years have passed and they have changed. Neither has cared enough to update their knowledge, so they stick to old habits of showy devotion without any joy or meaning, and they stay together, married, lonely and alone within their passionless contract. A Bible story illustrating the father heart of God is that of the prodigal sons. No, you say, it's called the prodigal son, singular tense. Have you ever wondered about the second son who stayed and labored for the father? What was the story there? My belief is that both sons left the father. The one left physically and dramatically with all the hard words loudly vocalized. The other stayed and labored and left in heart only. He didn't seek his father with his hopes and fears and desires. He never trusted him with his heart and vulnerability. There was no communion and communication between father and son and it showed. 
When the younger son returned, the father rejoiced, because the son had returned in body and heart. His return brought the second son's underlying rebellion to light. Although the older son had stayed, his heart had left long ago. The scripture says, He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Luke fifteen twenty-eight to 32 God the Father seeks and delights in the one whose heart is fixed on him. Many Christians stay and serve and think the state of their hearts goes unnoticed. Their good behavior is their pride and their defense. Jesus also meaningfully talks of two sons in Matthew 21. What do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. Matthew 21, 28 and 32. Submission that pleases God is obedience to him from a surrendered heart. There's a story about a conversation between a father and a son. The father tells his son to sit down and the son refuses. The father repeats the command and the son reluctantly obeys, but looks his father in the eye and defiantly says, I will sit down, but in my heart I'm standing up. Obedience can be a beautiful token of a surrendered heart, or it can be the defiant act of someone who simply fears the consequences of a stronger hand. From the outside, both may look the same. The difference is the state of the heart. Submission that pleases God is the heart that is humble and contrite and trembles in reverence at the voice of God. Submission that pleases God is the heart that longs for Him as a deer longs for water because it knows God is life and sustenance. Submission that pleases God is a surrendered heart, giving birth to obedience. So how does this affect the control freak? 
Submission is the cure for control because it turns away from a behavior-driven worship to a heart-driven worship. Submission doesn't need the rule book because it remains in communication with the rule maker. Where control is born in a heart that seeks independence, submission is happily and gratefully dependent. Where do we start? We start by seeing how far away we are from what God desires and we repent. Like the younger prodigal son, we turn back and say, I have sinned against you and am not worthy to be called your son, but I throw myself on your mercy. Let me be close to you and let me hear your voice and teach me who you are and lead me in your ways. May I seek you more than I seek any other treasure. May my obedience be an act of worship rather than a tick list. I want to close with a comment on submission in marriage and the church. Wives are commanded to submit to their husbands. Young men are commanded to submit to older men. And we are all commanded to submit to one another in the church. Remember the statement at the beginning of this talk, submission results in obedience, but it doesn't begin there. What happens when a husband demands something of his wife that is sinful, or a church elder demands submission to an erroneous teaching? Is our only option rebellion? No. Other people's sin never excuses my own and the command for me as wife and Christian is submission. It is possible to be humble and submissive and refuse to obey because submission is a state of the heart. In either of the above situations, I must guard my heart before God. He will be my only standard for obedience. My own desires or likes may never be my consideration. And where I am certain the person is asking something contrary to God, I must obey God rather than men, but I must do so with a submissive heart. I can approach the person with respect and state my case. I can say that I am prepared to accept the consequence of my refusal to obey as part of my worship of God, and I can walk in forgiveness and a clean conscience. This way is not easy and only available to those who live a surrendered life in the Lord, but it is ours if we dare to pick up our cross and follow after our leader and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now,